0: Today, we're gonna be jumping back into or continuing, actually, our study here in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for all these boxes before us today that are going to be heading to different parts of the world to bless needy kids. God, we pray that you would put your hand on every single one of them, that you would touch um, kids and that they would receive the gospel. Lord, we also want to pray for just everything happening in Israel right now. God, we pray that these uh, demonic terrorists of Hamas, that they would be eliminated Um, God, we pray for um, just your victory to take place there. God, we pray for all of the people on both sides, uh, civilians who have been um, injured, that you would um, just bring comfort, Lord, for those who have lost loved ones, that you would comfort. But God, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for the leaders of Israel and God, we pray for um, just people all around the world that they, they would see and realize that um, we are living in um, really important and really troubling times. And uh, our our world needs Jesus so desperately. And God, we pray um, for you just to be moving and working on hearts. And we pray today that you would minister your word to our hearts As we open up the pages of the scriptures here today in Jesus name and everyone said you know one of the most discouraging words in the English language is the word no. How many of you love the word no? (laughs) Not a big fan of uh, that word. And uh, kids don't like it. They hate it. You know, mommy, can I have some ice cream? No, sweetheart, you can't have any ice cream. It's almost dinner time. You know, I think taking kids to a store today. I mean, it can be super difficult. I always have to prep my grandson, Josiah, when we're going, I'll say, okay, Josiah, we're not getting anything for you today. You understand that? You know, we're going for Mimi. She needs us to pick up something. You know, but still, all throughout the store, no, Josiah, no, you can't have, what did I say, Josiah? You know, and, and that's the way um, that it is. And it's really not any easier in the Christian life because, God often says no to us. How many of you have ever had God say no to you before? I have. And, you know, it's been said that God um, always answers our prayers, that he answers um, yes. And we love that, right? We get excited about that. Um, He also will answer uh, wait. And oftentimes that comes in the form of silence, right? He's silent, and that's sometimes hard and difficult when we're waiting to, okay, Lord, you know, and it's just, he's being silent. What's he saying? He's saying, wait. But God also at times will answer, no. And today we're going to see in our text at a time in the life of the Apostle Paul where God said no. And we're going to see how Paul deals with that and see that we can learn from that. But we're also going to see today that as God is seeking to direct our lives, that he often directs our lives in three types of ways that can all be difficult in their own way. That sometimes the Lord will direct us through disagreements. Sometimes God will direct us through denials. That's when he says no. And other times he'll direct us through detours. And so we're going to break that down today. We're going to cover uh, chapter 15, verse 36, all the way through uh, chapter 16, verse 15. And um, we're going to start with how God brings direction through disagreements. And so last week we left off with seeing this big... um, meeting that took place in Jerusalem. It was called the Council of Jerusalem. And they were meeting to get an answer to the question, do Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be saved? And after this big meeting, they came to the conclusion that no, they don't. They don't, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. They don't need to worry about the law of Moses. And so everyone was celebrating this freedom that we have in Christ. And then we saw Paul and Barnabas went back to their sending church in Antioch of Syria and that's where we're going to pick up the story chapter 15 verse 36 it says then after some days now this is five years later from the time of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, five years have passed. So after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined. Everybody note that. He was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted, note that as well, that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. And had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention, note that, became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, we actually looked at this passage in some detail a couple of weeks ago in chapter 14, where we saw the time, because it happened there in chapter 14, that John, Mark, bailed with, from Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They they took John Mark this young man with them to on this, you know, missionary trip that they were doing. And the first chance that John Mark got to bail, he bailed. He was like, "I don't want anything to do with this anymore." And he takes off. And so now they're getting ready for the second missionary trip, and Barnabas is like, "Hey, let's take John Mark with us again. Let's give him a second chance." And Paul is like, "No way. That guy can't be trusted." And so these two godly men, Paul and Barnabas, are are wrestling, they're struggling, they're having a contention over this idea of bringing John Mark with them, and it gets so intense that they just decide, they can't, you know, agree to disagree, and so they end up parting and going their separate ways. Barnabas takes John Mark and they go to Cyprus, Paul picks Silas to go with him, and they head off to Turkey. Now, in the book of Amos, it says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the interesting thing about this story between John, or excuse me, Barnabas and, and Paul is the Bible doesn't tell us who was right or who was wrong. The Bible doesn't tell us that, that one of them you know, was in the right and the other one was, was totally off. It does not tell us that at all. These are two godly men who both had a strong opinion about something and they couldn't see eye to eye. And so they came to the conclusion that the best thing for them to do was to separate. And the result of that is there ends up being now two ministry teams going out instead of one. God is working now through these two teams. Barnabas and John Mark would be one team. Paul and Silas, they're going to pick up Timothy. That would be another team. And what's interesting is John Mark completely ends up redeeming himself. In fact, Paul would later on say, hey, send John Mark to me because he is useful to me in the ministry. But I point this out because this story illustrates for us that sometimes God will lead through disagreements. That you have two godly people seeking the Lord and they can't get on the same page. And so the best thing for them to do is just to go their separate ways. And that's what ends up happening here. Now, because the book of Acts is following Paul primarily, and the remainder of the book, because paul 's the one he 's going out and he 's starting these churches that are going to end up being places that he ends up writing a letter to, and those letters will become part of our Bible, like the Church of Ephesus is the the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Colossae gets the letter to Colossians, the church in Philippi, where we 're going to see Paul end up today, gets the written to them the book of Philippians, so the rest of the book of Acts seems to to follow paul in his journey and that's what we're going to pick up here in chapter 16 paul and and, and uh, silas are going to venture first into turkey it says then he came to derby and lystra and behold a certain disciple was there named timothy the son of a certain jewish woman who believed but his father was greek and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at lystra in iconium And Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So they're telling all of the, you know, Gentile believers that they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to worry about the law of Moses. Everything that we talked about in our study last week, that's what they're going and sharing. And so this was the response, verse five. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul and Silas head off to visit the churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted on their first missionary journey there in Turkey. And the first place they come to is the city of Lystra. And those of you who have been with us, remember what happened to Paul when he was in Lystra, that the Jews, you know, rose up against him and they literally pelted him with rocks. They stoned him until they thought he was dead. Some people think that Paul actually died and was revived by the Lord there in Lystra. And so Paul's left for dead. People are gathered around him and suddenly he revives. He gets up. He walks back into the city. It was a very dramatic time. Well, five years have passed. And upon his return now to Lystra, there's a young man named Timothy that catches Paul's eye. Timothy is called here a disciple his life has been impacted by the gospel and we're told in verse one that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek that Timothy is the product of a mixed marriage and so because of that because his father was Greek he wasn't circumcised But Paul is wanting to take Timothy with him on the rest of this missionary journey. He wants him to co-labor with him and minister with him. And so because of that, Paul ends up having Timothy circumcised. And I'm sure some of you right now are kind of scratching your heads going, why? Like, why is he doing that? I mean, didn't we just go through last week this big, huge dispute in chapter 15 where, where, you know, it was this huge issue. And Paul was leading the charge. You know, last week we saw where it was like, no, the Gentiles, they don't need to be circumcised. So why is Paul doing this now? Why is he having Timothy be circumcised? And some have even suggested that this was a major compromise on the part of Paul, that he was caving into the pressure. But listen, that's not the case at all. That's not what's happening here. You see, the the issue last week was the false teaching that gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved and they needed to follow the law of Moses that that literally following Jesus wasn't enough they also had to convert to Judaism And so they had that big meeting and Paul stood up and Peter stood up and they're like, no, that's not true. The Gentiles got saved the exact same way that we have. And remember last week, the ruling was, hey, we should not put any pressure, any burden on them that we ourselves can't bear. So no, they don't need to get circumcised. They don't need to be following the law of Moses. Paul will stand. We'll see him stand for Titus, who's Greek. He's a Gentile. Later on, when Jewish people were saying, hey, Titus, he needs to get circumcised. And Paul is like, no way. But with Timothy, this is it was different. And this is why. It wasn't an issue of salvation. It was an issue of ministry effectiveness. Listen to me. Follow me. Follow this train of thought. Timothy was already saved. But because Timothy was Jewish, Paul knew that his being uncircumcised would be a stumbling block to the very Jewish people they were wanting to preach Jesus to the very Jewish people that they were wanting to share the gospel with. So it had nothing to do with salvation, but it had everything to do with ministry effectiveness. And, and you see, Paul would later speak of his ministry philosophy in First Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read it to you. It should be on the screen. Paul said this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Paul's saying, look, I'm I'm, I'm free in Jesus, but I'm concerned about winning people to Jesus. And so he says, and to those, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ, the law of love, in other words. And we noticed this. We noted this last week that love always trump triumphs uh, or trumps liberty. And Paul says this: that that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. And then here is his concluding statement: I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So this is Paul's ministry philosophy. To the Jews, I'm going to become as a Jew. In other words, I'm going to relate to i'm gonna i'm gonna connect with their customs because i don't want there to be any stumbling block between them hearing the gospel so having Timothy circumcised because Timothy was half Jew went along with this philosophy. It was for the sake of the kingdom. It was for the sake of not causing there to be a stumbling block for the Jewish people. And Timothy willingly goes along with this because he has the same heart. He has that same heart as Paul. He wants to see you know Jewish people come to faith in Christ. And Timothy would become known as Paul's son in the faith. Six times in six epistles, he would refer to him in that way. And Paul was touched by Timothy's willingness to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And and I wanna just pause here for a second and ask this question. What about you and me? What are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God? What are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of seeing people around us who don't know Jesus come to Jesus? I think it's a great question for us to ponder. But let's pick up the story here in verse 6 where we see the second way that God directs. The first was through disagreements. The second is through denials. We'll pick it up verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia... And the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, pause there for a minute. And give me your attention. Paul finishes his ministry in Galatia, and he really wants to go into Asia Minor. In fact, he wants to get to ephesus ephesus was a major city in asia minor and paul's thinking was is if ephesus can get impacted with the gospel of jesus christ it could end up impacting the whole region it was a very smart thought it was a great idea but we're told here that paul was forbidden by the holy spirit to preach the word down in asia doesn't that seem weird I'm sure Paul is thinking to himself that he's like, like maybe, maybe contemplated, Lord, you told us. You told us to take the gospel into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. And Lord, I want, I want to go to Asia Minor. They need Jesus. But he's forbidden, it says, by the Holy Spirit. That seems kind of weird. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit knew that Ephesus wasn't ready yet for the message. We'll see that when Paul gets there in chapter 19, that the Holy Spirit had to do some things to get them ready. But here, Paul's saying, hey, I want to go. This is the, the plan. This is what's on my heart. And God says, no. Now, here's a question. How did God restrain him? How did the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from going into Asia Minor? Well, we're actually not told. But let me give you a couple ideas of what might have happened. It might have been that Paul didn't have a peace. And he thought, you know, as he really wanted to go, but he just didn't have that peace in his heart. And he knew that, that if he it went against that, not having that peace, that he would be fighting God if he went. And so he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I've experienced that many times. A desire to do something and just there isn't a peace. And I know if I, if I venture out, I'm going to be striving. Maybe it wasn't a lack of peace. Maybe it was a lack of provision. That he couldn't move forward in that direction because of the cost. You know, Pastor Chuck used to always say, where God guides, God provides. And I believe in that principle. It's a principle that we follow here in our fellowship. And there have been many, many times, too many to count, where there was something on our heart that we really, you know, had a sense like it would be awesome, you know, to do that. And, And God wasn't providing. We weren't able to do that. We weren't able to move in that direction. So maybe it was a lack of peace. Maybe it was a lack of provision. But let me give you another thought. It might have been an illness. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's interesting because at this particular time in the story, we see that Luke, who is a physician, joins the team. In fact, if you notice that Luke is writing the book of Acts, changes the narrative in verse 10 from they to we. He he quits speaking in the third person and starts speaking in the first person. And that tells us that Luke was there, that he joined Paul's team at this particular moment. We'll see in chapter 17, verse 1, that he goes back to they. They. Meaning that Paul, or excuse me, Luke probably stayed in Philippi to minister to the new church that was birthed there. We'll see in chapter 20, verse 5, that he goes back to speaking in, in the we form, and again in chapter 27, and again in chapter 28. These four different times where Luke suddenly joins Paul's team in his missionary journey. Why would he do that? I think it's quite possible that Paul needed his services. That that Luke being a physician, Paul needed a doctor. You know, Paul will talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, how he had his thorn in the flesh, that that messenger of Satan to buffet him. And many think it was some type of a physical ailment. And so it's quite possible that that might have been the way the Holy Spirit forbade Paul. That he was restrained because of a physical condition. Whatever the case We see God saying no to the great apostle Paul, forbidding him to go in a direction that was really on his heart. And this is my question. What did Paul do? How did he respond to that? Did he sulk? Did he quit? Did he stomp his feet and say, oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to do anything. Did he get angry? No, he didn't do any of those things this is what I want us to see today, because how we respond when God says no is so important for us. How you react when God says no will have a major effect on your walk with God. But before we look at how Paul responds, I want us to consider the way another great leader in the Bible responded when God said no, and that was King David. We read in 1 Chronicles chapter 17... That David, now he's, David has that unique title. He's been called the man after God's own heart. And David has now been the king in Israel for about 10 years. He's about 40 years old. And David one day is sitting in his palace and he's looking out over Jerusalem. And he's just thinking about how greatly he has been blessed by God. And as he's sitting out, he starts thinking, here I am in this beautiful palace But God or the presence of God, which was symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant that sat in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, which was a tent that Israel carried with them throughout their wilderness wandering. So David is there looking out and he sees the tabernacle, this tent, and he goes, here I am in my palace and God is dwelling in a tent. That just doesn't seem right to me. I want to build God a house. So he calls his friend Nathan the prophet and says, Nathan, I want to build God a house. And Nathan's like, that's a great idea. Go for it. Do whatever is on your heart. Build God a temple. But that night, the Lord speaks to Nathan and tells him, David can't build me a house. He shed too much blood. So go tell David he can't do it. It's a no. But tell him this. Tell him, he can't build me a house, but I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to bless David and his family. And from his seed, there will be a forever king on the throne in Israel. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. And then he also tells him, and let David know that one of his sons will build me a house. So when David got the news... From Nathan that he wasn't able to build God a house he couldn't do what he really wanted to do for God what did David do well we see two things in first chronicles 17 we see that David went and sat before the Lord and worshiped him and then later on in first chronicles chapter 29 we see that David gathers all of the materials needed to build the temple in other words When David couldn't do what he wanted to do, he responded by doing what he could do to help the process. But he starts by going in and sitting before God. 1 Chronicles 17, 16, David went and sat before the Lord, and he's just basking in the presence of God, and he's remembering, he's reminded, he's thinking about that God is sovereign, that God is on the throne, and as David sat before the Lord, rather than focusing on what he couldn't do, he thought about his life. And he thought about how God had how God had blessed him and all that God had done for him. And he comes to this conclusion. He says there in 1 Chronicles 17, basically, I, I, I'm more blessed. I'm blessed far beyond what I deserve. He puts it this way. Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you. This is such an important thing for us to learn. Listen, when when you get a denial from God, when we get a denial from God, when we get a no, we need to remember this, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is on the throne, that our heavenly father knows best, and we need to worship him. We need to just sit before him and worship him for who he is. Perhaps you're confused today as to why the Lord is saying no to you. Maybe you've told the Lord, maybe you've said, God, I want to serve you. And the Lord hasn't opened up that door yet. Or maybe you've said, Lord, I really want to serve you in this particular way. And God hasn't allowed you to do that. Maybe you've been praying that God would heal you. And he said, no, just like he did with Paul. Maybe he's saying to you what he said to Paul. Hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is going to be perfect, made perfect in your weakness. Maybe you've been saying, Lord, I want to start this business. And I really, Lord, I want to honor you with the the proceeds. And, and, And God hasn't allowed that to come together. Maybe you have been wanting to get married. And you thought you found just the right person. And then all of a sudden, things just seem to fall apart. And you're wondering why. Lord, what is going on? Maybe you thought a job was opening up for you that you looked at and thought, this is the perfect job. This is the job that I need, and it just seemed perfect, but then all of a sudden the door closed. How are you going to respond when God says no? When God says no, or when God shuts a door, we need to be very, very careful that we don't grow bitter at God and angry with God, that we don't become discontented. And so the first thing that we need to do is do what David did and sit before the Lord and consider his faithfulness. We need to sit before the Lord and think about all the ways that he has already blessed our lives. We need to sit before the Lord and consider all the ways that he's been faithful to us. It's like that song we sometimes sing, evidence, that we're speaking and we're looking at at the evidence of God's faithfulness in our lives, starting with the fact that you are saved, that you were on your way to hell and now you're on your way to heaven. Starting with the reality that you have a relationship with God now that you didn't have before, that you have an inheritance in Jesus, that you have, because you belong to Jesus, a destiny to look forward to. Guys, we're blessed. We're blessed. We have been blessed far more than we deserve. So can I encourage you? Can I encourage me? Start counting your blessings instead of focusing on what you don't have instead of focusing on God saying what God has said no to. So that's the first thing that we see that David does. He goes and he sits before the Lord and worships. But the second thing that he does just so blesses me. First Chronicles 29, again, what he does is he goes and he gathers together all the materials. He gathers the timber, the gold, the silver. He has plans drawn up. He meets with the architects. When God said, no, you can't build the temple, David said, okay, I'm going to use my means and my resources then to do everything i can to make sure it happens and here's the application for us perhaps you can't do something that you've been wanting to do what can you do maybe you've been wanting to go on the mission field and god has said nope that's not what i have for you right now well you can pray you can give you can help send somebody else Maybe you're at an age right now, or you have a disability right now, that you can't do what you used to be able to do. Instead of focusing on and getting upset about that, think about, ask the Lord, look at, what can I do? What have you given me, Lord? What have you given me? What abilities? What resources? What time? I want to use that to do what I can do. That's what David did. And it's the exact same thing that we see the Apostle Paul doing here in Acts chapter 16. God says, Paul, you can't go into Asia Minor. And so what does Paul do? He keeps on moving forward. Look at verse 7. And after they had come to Mysia. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of the Lord did not permit them. Here's another no. He's not getting upset, though. He just keeps going forward. You know, it's been said that it's easier to steer a moving car than a parked car. I think Paul would agree with that sentiment because he just keeps going. He just keeps moving. Verse 8, so passing by he, he they came to Troas. And it's interesting that when the Bible talks about Waiting on God, we need to understand that when the Bible speaks about waiting on God, it's not a passive, I'm going to just sit here and twiddle my thumbs until God gives me the answer, waiting, it's always an active waiting. In other words, it means that, that, okay, I'm not just going to sit here. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing until God gives me the direction that I'm looking for. And that's what Paul does here. And we see in verse 9, the direction comes. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia calling out and saying, will you please come and help us? And Paul wakes up from this dream or or this vision, and he says, I know where God wants us to go. And immediately, note that, they start making plans to head toward Macedonia. There's no procrastination. There's no debating. There's no discussion. God said go, and they made plans to go. And I think God loves this kind of response, this is the type of person that God wants to, you know, can, can do amazing things through. Is those who say, okay, when God speaks, when God says go, that's what I'm going to do. That's what Paul's doing here. You know, it was George W. Truett who said this to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Paul believed that. He's like, I've been waiting. I've been wanting to know what's the will of God for me. And as soon as he finds out, he's like, I'm going. I'm heading in that direction. You know, Paul would make this statement. He'd say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that was Paul's heart. Paul's heart in his life was, Lord, whatever you want. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul would say, you know, I'm always wanting to figure out why Jesus apprehended me. Why did he save me? And for Paul, every new town, every new city, every new person that he came in contact with was the revealing of that prayer, of him wanting to know, God, what's your will for me? Every new place, it was like, this is why I've saved you, to talk to these people about my son. Paul would say, for me to live is Jesus. That's what it's all about. Let me ask you this question. How would you finish that statement for your life? For me to live is... Fill in the blank. Well, I think a great way to answer that question is this. A great way to answer the question, what is, what is God's will for my life in this season? What and who? The, the, here's how you answer that question. What and who has God given you to take care of? That's a great way to answer that question. For me to live is, well, what and who has God given you to take care of? Where has God called you to serve? Where has God called you to give your time, your attention, your resources, your gifts, your abilities? Where and how and who has God called you to use those things? The best thing that we can do is we discover God's will. And our greatest achievement is to follow that through. And so that's what we see Paul doing here. He immediately responds in obedience. And then we see verse 11 Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is in the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So Paul arrives in Macedonia, a city, the city of Philippi, and he's looking for a man, because that's what he saw in his vision, a man. Man from Macedonia, calling out, come and help us. And here we see the third way that God is going to direct Paul, and that's going to be through a detour. Paul arrives looking for a man, and what he encounters is a woman's meeting. Look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there on the Sabbath days when the Jewish people or Jewish, those who had converted to Judaism would meet. And if there was no synagogue in a city, they would meet down by the river. They would meet down by the sea. And so there's no synagogue in Philippi. So he goes down to the river. And as he goes down there, he sees a group meeting, but what he finds is a women's prayer group. Now I got to tell you, if this was me, I might've been prone to say, this isn't it. We're looking for a man. Paul doesn't do that. (laughs) Paul sees this as a divine appointment. And here's what we learn from Paul about when God puts a detour in your path. Listen to me. Don't get distracted by the detour. But instead, pay attention to who God puts in front of you, because the who God puts in front of you might very well be the divine appointment that God is leading you into. This is what Paul does here. He's like, hey, I know we're looking for a dude, but I think God's doing something here, you know, with these ladies. Let's see. So it says, verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. So that means she had converted to Judaism. And th- the... Uh, Seller of purple dye was really, really expensive. So Lydia is trading and selling in, you know, fine, um, linen and wool goods and so she's a woman of means a, a wool um, something that had been dyed uh, with purple wool had been dyed purple was you know today upwards of like three hundred dollars it was very very expensive and so God's moving and it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So we see here this this businesswoman Lydia ends up getting saved. She gets baptized. She becomes a follower of Jesus. Because Paul, when he gets this detour, is paying attention to what God and who God has put in front of him. Lydia would end up, history tells us, having meetings in her home, and she would become um, perhaps the first Gentile convert in all of Europe. And so God had worked through her. And so we see here that sometimes God directs us through disagreements, that we might part ways to head in a new direction, that God sometimes directs us through denials, and when God says no to one thing, we need to be thinking about what can we do? We need to sit before Him and worship Him as the one who is on the throne. And when God directs us through detours, we need to pay attention to who God put in front of us. So the question is, today. I'm going to call the band to come up right now. But as we close today, maybe in your life today, you've been dealing with a denial. God's been saying no to you about something. Can I encourage you today, before you leave this place today, to just sit before him and worship him? Can I encourage you today to just sit before the Lord and and just think about the, the ways that he has blessed you? the blessings that he has given to you. And then as you do that, can I encourage you to think about, okay, Lord, you're saying no to this, but what can I do? In what way can I move? If the Lord has put a detour in front of you right now that has just had you confused, can I encourage you today to just pause and stop and start paying attention to who and what God has put in front of you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God that seeks to direct us and to move in our lives. And so, God, we want to just right now just pause before we run into our day. And God, we want to think about Not what you're saying no to, but all the yeses, all the ways that you have blessed us, starting with the fact that we're saved, that we know you, that we have a reason to rejoice. Lord, I pray today that you would help us as your people to have this different perspective, That you would meet us right now in this moment. God, we love you. We praise you. We find, Lord, our hope in you today.